0: Matthew chapter 18 verse 1 to 5 At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven He called a little he called a little child to him and placed the child among them and he said Truly I tell you unless you change and become like little children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven Therefore Whoever takes the lonely position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Hey, everyone. My name is Richard. It is great to be with you here today. And I really hope you're having a great time watching church either by yourself or with friends and family. Now, in this series, we're looking deeply into what it means to be human. Now, we're talking about the biblical doctrine of humanity and how it relates to everything that's going on in our world. And we come today now to the theme of children. I think this is gonna be so helpful because there's something about babies and children that leads us deeply into reflecting on humanity and what it means to be human. See, the Bible has loads to say about kids and Jesus interacts with kids and Jesus teaches kids. There's heaps to say, and it's very challenging to what we think naturally. So loads to look at. But I wanna say this is a pretty sensitive topic. Many of us listening along today are kind of dealing with hard things around this area, like maybe uh, finding parenting really hard or having a difficult relationship with older kids or wanting babies, but not being able to. So let's be gentle with each other today. Now we're gonna start with thinking about our culture. Our culture is deeply confused about babies and children. And you might say why would you say that no surely our culture just loves babies and kids what's the issue well sure yeah on one hand our world is very positive about children you know babies and kids are on our screens all the time on our social media Uh, they're advertising home insurance show show a picture of a home loan show a picture of a baby advertise the home loan and there you go and we celebrate mother's day and father's day we care for babies in hospitals Uh, We're trying to improve the environment. Why is that for the sake of our children? You know, we're all about what's best for the children But on the other hand our culture is actually very negative about children. We don't like to think we are but but we are Now obviously we felt that back in the days when we used to go on long flights, you know, you walk to your seat You you don't want to sit next to a kid Uh, That's uh, that's how it is in in our hearts But more than that uh, in our culture parenting is not particularly valued as an occupation people say I'm just a mum, or I'm just a stay-at-home dad. Uh, That pattern tells us something. And how well do we pay our teachers and childcare workers? Well, not great. But most of all, I think what what reveals the most is that the birth rate in our country. The birth rate, I think it's technically called the fertility rate, is the lowest it has been in our nation's history, 1.74. That's the orange line on this graph, 1.74 babies per woman in our society. Now that's down from a peak in 1961 of 3.55. Imagine that, in the 50s and 60s, there were twice as many kids around. Think of your streets like that. Think of going to Woolworths like that. Think of your suburb, twice as many kids, but now 1.74. More people are dying than are being born. We are welcoming less babies into Australia than ever. And one issue is abortion. Last year, there were about 300,000 live births in Australia, but there were also about 80,000 abortions performed. 90% of babies with Down syndrome are terminated before birth. And young people are making decisions not to have children. And one of our Church members told me about a a friend of his, only 25 years old, who is considering a vasectomy because he's so sure that he doesn't want to have children. So despite what we'd like to think, our world is much more negative about kids than we, than we want. And since we're in the world ourselves, this vibe spills over into our Christian homes and into our Christian churches. So we need to think deep into this. We've got to have our hearts and minds shaped by the Bible rather than the culture around us. So in this talk, we're going to look at what the Bible says about kids, especially into the re- regard to the doctrine of humanity, and we'll explore some big ideas and we'll anchor the talk around three words, three words, human, value, and welcome. So listen out for those as we go through. And we'll finish with some ideas about how the kids and babies are actually metaphors for the gospel. So we'll, we'll get to that. But the first big idea is that children are fully human. Children are fully human. Let's come back to Genesis 1. This is a key passage for our series, Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground so god created mankind in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them there we are we are made in god's image and this applies to all humans there is an equality to everyone everyone is made in the image of god men and women dark skin and light skin, adults and children, babies. Babies and children are made in the image of God. It's not that they're a little bit in the image of God as, they, as they're born and they sort of grow and become more and more like in the image of God. From the moment of conception, they are made in the image of God. And this is distinctively Christian. In other cultures, there's all sorts of grades and curves of humanity. Uh, for example, some cultures would say boys are a superior kind of human than girls. Or people of one caste in the Hindu system in India are a superior kind of human than people of another caste. Or people of one tribe are better than people of another tribe. I remember reading about the conflict and genocide in Rwanda and how one tribe called the people of another tribe cockroaches. Like they dehumanized them and therefore they had no qualms about killing them and in many forms of social Darwinism, the children of supposedly advanced races are considered superior to those of the so-called primitive races. Those theories were mainstream in Australia in the 19th and 20th century among intellectuals and had a terrible impact on First Nations people. But even now in Australia, we have ways of grading the humanity of babies. In our culture, babies in the womb are treated as humans if they are wanted. My wife remembers speaking with doctors who use this language. They said, what counts is if the baby is wanted. Somehow being a wanted baby is a different kind of human to an unwanted baby. Or what counts is babies who are healthy? I read an article by a woman who was frustrated by how people spoke about her pregnancy. People would say, do you know if it's a boy or a girl? And she'd say, oh, I don't know that. And they said, oh, it doesn't matter as long as it's healthy. And the woman was like, "Uh, what if my baby isn't healthy? What exactly are you saying? Is the baby therefore inferior? Am I not going to love the baby? She felt the value judgment of people on her unborn baby. So without the influence of the Bible, people naturally grade humans on a curve, less human to more human, or inferior grade human to superior grade human. But the bible forces us to understand humanity as a flat reality we are all equal made in the image of god and that includes children and babies being human means being human alongside children and babies the second point therefore is that children have value that's the key word here value children are fully human made in the image of god and therefore god values them and honors them and gives them dignity let's look in psalm 8. Psalm 8 says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. See there, God gives humans glory and honor. He values them. And this includes children. In fact, in Psalm 8, children get a special mention as people who praise God. It says, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. See, that children's praise God, and that's an honor. When kids in our church are singing Colin Buchanan songs, praising God, that is a dignified and honorable thing. God has given them that honor. So God values children. And therefore, we need to value children as well. Part of being human means valuing babies, children, and youth. Let me show you three ways this plays out. Firstly, we value children by parenting them. We'll raise them up into adulthood. We give parenting the honor it deserves. The Bible is incredibly positive about parenting. 1 Timothy 5 says one of the good deeds that a woman might do is bringing up children. It says there, no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60 has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. See, bringing up children is a good deed. And in the book of 2 Timothy, we learn that Timothy himself was taught the Bible from infancy by who? Well, by his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. And it's not just women, fathers are told to bring up their children. So in Ephesians, it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And actually being able to fulfill this command is one of the criteria for Christian leadership. According to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, a man's parenting is more important than his career when we consider leadership. So it is a good thing to raise children. Parenting is valuable. And this is not the case in our world. In our culture, there's this sense that there is two kinds of work. There's meaningful work, such as building a career or getting paid for a job or contributing to our GDP or or, or building a sense of identity. That's kind of meaningful work. And then there's looking after kids, doing housework, changing nappies. That's something else. Our culture sees housework and looking after the kids as empty of meaning and worthless in building a sense of identity. Maybe it's something you do for a bit, but only before you get back to real work. But that division is not Christian. Parenting is meaningful work. Why? Because children are made in the image of God, honoured by Him, valued by Him, and therefore valuable to us. Never say, I'm just a mum or I'm just a stay-at-home dad. You are doing the valuable work of raising children. You don't lose your identity in parenting. Parenting is being an adult human, loving, caring, raising people who are fully made in the image of God. And for those of us who are working outside the home or studying, um, never ask people, what do you do in a way that implies only paid work counts? Better questions are, how do you spend your time at the moment? Or, Or what keeps you busy during the week? Don't buy into the world's devaluing of work at home. Well, a second way we value children is by educating them. When cultures devalue the humanity of certain children, they won't bother to educate them. They won't bother educating girls, for example, or children of a certain caste or tribe. But God values the literacy and learning of all children. God wants all children to be able to learn to read. Why? So they can read the Bible. Kids in the Old Testament were taught the word of God. It was written in their homes around the place. And the book of Ephesians specifically addresses children. Ephesians 6 says, children, obey your parents. The expectation is that kids would be reading this book of the Bible. So the biblical view of children compels us to educate them. And across the world, it's nearly always Christians who have started schools, especially in the education of girls. Well, then a third way we can address the, express the value of children is to value the lives of children. Now, it's an incredibly Christian thing to value the lives of children, whether they are boys or girls, or healthy or unhealthy, or born within marriage or not. Like, we tend to think that's normal to value Christian, the lives of kids, but it's only because we're in a Christian culture or a post-Christian culture. In the ancient world, nobody thought like this. In the ancient world, unwanted babies were commonly discarded in the local rubbish tips or thrown down drains. Let me read a section from a book called Dominion by Tom Holland. Tom hollands he's not a Christian, uh, but he's a a historian who's written about the influence of Christianity on the Western world. And he writes about this. He says, across the Roman world, wailing at the sides of roads or on rubbish tips, babies abandoned by their parents were a common sight. Others might be dropped down drains there to perish in their hundreds. The odd eccentric philosopher aside, few had ever queried this practice. Indeed, there were cities who by ancient law had made a positive virtue of it, condemning to death deformed infants for the good of the state. Sparta, one of the most celebrated cities in Greece had been the epitome of this policy and Aristotle himself had lent it the full weight of his prestige. Girls in particular were liable to be winnowed ruthlessly. Those who were rescued from the wayside would invariably be raised as slaves. Holland goes on to say that it was Christians who did something about this. He talks about a Christian lady in the early church called Macrina. When famine held Cappadocia in its grip and flesh clung to the bones of the poor like cobwebs, then Macrina would make a tour of the refuse tips. Those infant girls she rescued she would take home and raise as her own. Macrina was one of many Christians who did this, and it's only because of the Christian worldview and their actions that the normal practice died out. And even today, Christians value the lives of children. We see this in the example of Christians who welcome kids with Down syndrome into their families. As I said, tragically, 90% of kids in the womb with Down syndrome have their lives terminated in Australia. But as Christians, we will value the lives of these unborn babies. Chris and Kate Green from our new EPM congregation had Charlie born this year. Charlie's a kid living with Down syndrome. And Chris and Kate knew this before he was born, and they and their two girls have welcomed Charlie with love. They wrote to me saying, We know that God creates us all in his image, and also that he doesn't make mistakes. So we know that Charlie has come to us just as God intended. Kate often had Psalm 139 on her mind through the pregnancy, and even now since Charlie was born. I'll read those verses. For you created my inmost being, You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well." They said, Charlie is certainly not a burden on our family. Far from it. He is a beautiful blessing and we can't imagine life without him. So what we see here is the Christian doctrine of humanity, being human, making a huge difference in preserving the life of Charlie and shaping a whole family. Well, we've seen that God, from the Bible here, that children are fully human and that we must value children. Thirdly, God calls on us to welcome children. That's the third word we're anchoring this talk with, welcome. And I've got seven subpoints here, lots of applications. All right, firstly, we want to welcome children into our families, first of all welcome children into our families. That's really an expression of being in the image of God. Because remember, Adam and Eve were to express their image-bearing role by being fruitful and multiplying. They welcomed children and grandchildren into their lives. And there are loads of children born in Genesis and lots of children in Israel's story. And in the rest of the Bible, having many children is a positive thing. We saw this in the reading from Psalm 127 before. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So it's a great blessing to have children and to have many children. Now we know that this is not always possible and that's a cause for a lot of heartache for some couples and Psalm 127 for some shows a blessing that doesn't seem to have been granted for them at this time. I just want to help us as a church in this, in a small way. Like when you're talking to people, don't say things like, when are you going to have kids? Or when are you going to have another baby? As if that's all there is to it. What you're doing there is being very insensitive. A better question, if you're going to ask at all is, do you mind me asking, where are you guys at with kids? Or what are you thinking about more children? Uh, We can show love to people by respecting their privacy and talking about this subject with gentleness and sensitivity. And while we're on this, when someone says they have four kids or five kids or more, or the wife falls pregnant with baby number, whatever, don't make jokes about it. It's not silly or foolish to have lots of kids. Just say, that's great. Praise God. The same if people have kids when they're young or they're newly married. Don't even give a hint there's something embarrassing about that. Praise God. Let's welcome the babies. So that's families. Um, we're going to think about welcoming kids beyond our biological families, but before we get there, we just need to consider for a moment the heart of God. It's our second subpoint here the heart of God. Because one of the big themes of the Bible is that God cares for and welcomes children, particularly helpless children. In the Bible, the most common word for this is the fatherless, kids without a protector. And let me give you just one example from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 10. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. Isn't that great? And you'll find more examples in Psalms and all over the place. But the heart of God is to welcome kids. And in the gospels we see God, God become fully human in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And therefore, in time and space, here, we can see the heart of God in the heart of Jesus. And Jesus, who was a child himself, of course, does have a heart for children as well. Just We see that, like he never had physical offspring, but he said, let the little children come to me. In Mark 14, Jesus said to his disciples, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these." And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. Here we see the heart of Jesus for children. And then the third point here, the the Bible doubles down on this and and says that welcoming children on our part is actually an expression of loving and welcoming Jesus. Listen again to the words from our reading from Matthew 18, verse 5. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. When we welcome children, it's like we're welcoming Jesus. Now, what's this going to look like? Well, we've looked at welcoming children in our families. We love them, we care for them. Expression of our love for Jesus, doesn't matter if they're sick or if they're baby number seven, we welcome along. But we also, sub point four, we also welcome children in our church. We say hello to them. We learn their names. This is a hard one for me. I'm embarrassed at the number of friends I have around church whose kids I don't know their names. Uh, We learn their names, we take a moment to talk with them. And that includes the teenagers of our church who seem a bit too cool for us people. No, no, we take the time, we we say hello, we get to know them, ask about their life, we encourage them. And we welcome children in our church, even if they are noisy, or they take up space, or they're crying, or they've got a stinky nappy, or they make church complicated. As we grow, we just want more of that. We pray for this city. We want a vast number of kids filling every available space. We want a youth group that is filled with teenagers from all over Newcastle and Lake Mac, where you can never get a park, and we're giving lifts to everyone, and there's always another camp or another idea around the corner. That's what we want for our church. We're gonna welcome them. And then fifth point, we're gonna welcome children by serving in kids and youth ministries. We're going to serve there. We express our love and care for Jesus by showing love and care for children in our kids' ministries. Do you remember the mistake of the disciples with the kids? Uh, that's another verse from Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, what was the mistake of the disciples? Why did they rebuke the parents and children? Now, I've always thought it was because they reckoned that Jesus was too important and too busy to spend time with children. And that may be true, but knowing the disciples from the context, I think it was more likely that they thought they were too important and they were too busy to spend time with children. Can that be in our hearts as well? Have you ever thought you were too important or too busy to do kids ministry? Well, may that never be. We want to be a church that embraces kids' ministry. And I see, think we see this in our church. We, we, there was a great video before. We see people who love and care for kids and teach them about Jesus. And we're talking about kids' church on Sundays, or little PUDs during the week with Women's Growth Group, or SRE in, in our public schools, or Rush on Fridays, or Youth, or WAVE. I praise God for the kids' ministry here. But what about us, or those of us who are not you know, full-time there? Don't? When we see that email about Holiday Kids Church, or we hear an announcement about that, or someone talks to us about joining the wave, team, well, like what's in our hearts there? What's going on in our hearts? Are we too important for kids or too busy for kids? Or do we long to get involved and share this ministry and get involved as an expression of our love for Jesus? I'm not necessarily talking about a four-hour every week you know, full-on commitment, but what's going on in our hearts? Because at our church, no one is too important or too busy for kids' ministry. Well, six point then, as we look about welcoming kids, another way of welcoming children is something called spiritual parenthood. Spiritual parenthood. All of us, whether we're married or single, can be spiritual parents of children beyond our biological families. In Romans 16, Paul greets a disciple called Rufus and his mother. But just notice what Paul says. He says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Rufus's mother, we don't even know her name, but she took on a role of being a spiritual parent to the Apostle Paul. And we can do the same. I know people living this out. They're taking a deep care for a small number of children, uh, who rapidly growing up, of course, but they're praying for them. They're giving them cards on their birthdays, buying them Bibles, spending time with them, teaching them, and encouraging them. And spiritual parenthood can be part of our culture here at church. And then, seven point, <laughs> we can welcome kids outside our biological, biological family, but also beyond our church, outside of our church as well. We saw how Christians in history have done this you know, caring for abandoned children. And Christians historically have been at the forefront of care for orphans. That heart of for children beyond the family continues today. And just a few ways we can do that, like consider that. The, there's the organization, organization Compassion. and uh, They express this care for children as well. The motto of Compassion is releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. So Compassion helps us care for children beyond our home. And not just by giving money, it's by a relationship with letters and photos and things like that. So I commend to you child sponsorship through compassion. Some of us will consider fostering and adoption for kids whose biological parents are not around or able to care for them. Some Christians welcome these kids into their homes as an expression of love for Jesus. Let me tell you about Anna. Anna used to go to our church, and she's now teaching in a school in foster. Now, the rest of her, her family are still here. That's fantastic. And we've got to see here on the slide a photo of Anna with some of the many church children she's babysat and loved and cared for. But Anna has this year started to get involved in providing emergency foster relief for care for kids in need. Preschool or primary age kids for two or three nights or once for eight weeks, that was a challenge, but... Uh, this is what she's been doing. And it all happened after Anna got to know a kid and hear his story of going around town trying to find a place to stay and then hearing about kids in caravan parks and motels with full-time social workers because the needs are greater than the spaces available. And she wrote to me. She said, I, I had a heart for kids, room in my home, plenty of time. And I felt that my work teaching and years of babysitting had equipped me fairly well for, look, for caring for a child. So I thought it was worth seriously looking into. I asked her about her faith, uh, the impact of her faith in, in Jesus in this, and she said that was huge. Many of the adults in these kids' lives have let them down, and they don't have a lot of faith in people. But I'm able to introduce them to Jesus, the one who will always care, always listen, even when everything else seems to be going wrong. If I didn't have the hope that Jesus provides to tell kids about, I don't know what I could possibly say to encourage them sometimes, because their lives are so hard. So my faith in Jesus is both the best thing I can share with them and the thing that encourages me to keep giving grace to the children I work with, even if, when it's incredibly difficult. And she also said, look, it's not for everyone, that's okay, but if you're even a little bit curious, it's worth looking into. There's another woman in our church who's involved in fostering and she told me, look, across Australia, there's like 46,000 kids in care and she's become involved because of her faith and what the Bible teaches about caring for orphans. And she said, look, while, while fostering's not for everyone, there are many broken families in the community that if we as Christians can come alongside, I think the amount of children entering into care would be reduced. There's also many ways that even if you can't foster, the children uh, can be involved uh, in supporting kids who are living out of home, be it like education or support other, supporting other foster families or community organizations that support the vulnerable. she's showing a great example there. So what we've done, we've looked at those three big ideas um, the three big words there, human, value, and welcome. And you can see what a huge impact our doctrine of humanity, being human, has on the topic of children. So I just want to shift the focus for the last couple of minutes here, and I just want to speak for a moment about the gospel, which we love to do here at church, because babies and children are actually metaphors for the gospel. They can actually show us what it means to be human saved by grace. Let me show you two, two ways. Firstly, just by being born, just like babies are born into this world, we are born again into a new spiritual life when we are saved. Just listen to Jesus in John uh, chapter three. Jesus replied, "Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again." Becoming a Christian and being saved, entering God's kingdom, is being born again. Just think of a baby, brand new born, still covered in blood and Amniotic fluid, completely startled by what has happened. Just blinking, wondering what's going on, or crying in confusion. That's what it means to become a Christian. We did nothing to get where we are. We just got born. By God's grace, He has brought us into new life. So, whenever you see a baby, just think, that's, that's an image of who I am in Christ, born again. Second image there, second metaphor, just like... Um, is is the neediness of children. See, just like children are helpless and needy, so too are we helpless and needy in our relationship with God. Jesus said, "Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it." See, little children, they can't feed themselves, they can't clothe themselves, they've got no bladder or bowel control, they can't purchase a phone plan. You know, they are completely helpless. But Jesus says that is how we are to receive the kingdom of God, just like little children. So just imagine the most wise and mature Christian with his or her life in order, you know, they're reading their Bible and growing, still at heart, spiritually, is a little kid with a full nappy, eating a stick, reaching out to their mum and dad. That's who we are. Kids are a living metaphor for the gospel. So to finish, can I invite you to become a little child for the sake of your salvation? If you're not yet a Christian, it doesn't sound very dignified, does it? Becoming like a kid. And it's not dignified, but it's good. It's wonderful to be loved by God. So please come and get to know Jesus with us. Come and believe the gospel. Well, we've looked at a lot today. (laughs) Being human's a huge idea, isn't it? But praise God that we are one humanity made in the image of God, including babies, kids and youth. And let's be a church that values kids and welcomes kids and loves them as an expression of our welcome and love for Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you are a father to the fatherless. You care for children. And Jesus, our Lord, loves and cares for children too. Let us be a people who are convicted about the humanity and value of babies and children. Let us be a people who welcome children into our families and homes. Forgive us those times when we've felt too important to make time for kids. Help us by your spirit to repent and change and grow. And we ask that many children would be born in our church in the coming years. We especially pray for those families struggling with infertility. We ask for a thriving youth and kids ministry, which we can all support with with our time and prayer and energy. And we thank you that through the gospel of Jesus, we have now been born again into a new life and a new relationship with you. Let us never forget that we are your children and you are our loving Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.